Welcome to the Classical American Education Podcast with the Copelands. During the first three episodes of Season 2 on the Classical American Education Podcast, we have identified the first three horsemen of America's educational apocalypse. Howard Zinn, the false prophet of America's past, Ibram X. Kendi, the high priest of critical race theory, and Judith Butler, the fairy godmother of queer theory. Today, we will reveal the identity of the final horseman, someone with whom I would argue that virtually all of us know very well, a former vice president by the name of Al Gore. He is included in the list of the four horsemen of America's educational apocalypse for one simple reason, his very effective push to have America embrace the hoax that was once called global cooling. That was a popular term from the climate alarmist in the 1970s. Then, when the catastrophic destruction of the planet due to a pending ice age did not occur in the 1990s, the world was told we should instead fear global warming. Anyone taking an honest look at history should have seen through that hoax immediately. Have you ever wondered why an island that is perpetually covered with ice off the coast of Canada would have ever been named Greenland? It was not because a mistake was made by ancient cartographers. No, it was a reality during the period of warmer temperatures when the Vikings that established a colony there bragged about the wonderful harvest of grapes from this green land. How much warmer would the average temperature of the planet have to be for that block of ice to be fertile farmland? And yet, the planet was not destroyed. You still hear the term global warming used occasionally, but not very often because the consistent pattern that can be observed throughout recorded history, that is the earth cycling back and forth between a period of cooling to warming and then back to cooling, has yet again debunked the climate alarmist agenda. And yet another example of the revolutionaries inventing a phrase to cover their tracks, we have now been introduced to climate change. Thus the inconvenient reality about what is happening to the temperature of our planet will no longer cause problems for what is often called the green movement. After all, the climate is always changing. So if the earth gets warmer, it's a crisis. If the earth gets cooler, it's a crisis. That is very convenient for the man who in 2006 gave us the documentary titled An Inconvenient Truth that was ironically and predictably full of dire predictions that did not come true. I hope we all see what is often called the climate catastrophe for exactly what it is, a climate hoax. But there is no place in America where the cult of environmentalism is more enthusiastically embraced than the American classroom. I remember the old slogan, Earth Day Every Day from when people like Missy and me were in high school. So this idea has been around a long time. But Al Gore, of all people, 
was more successful than anyone else in making it a national sensation. Instead of playing on people's fears by claiming that polar bears would die or that turtles would get their necks stuck in discarded soda can rings, Al Gore raised the level of hysteria by convincing a large majority of people that all of humanity would die unless we took drastic action. And then when his predictions of global catastrophe and a flooded coastline did not come to pass, he just changed the deadline and began screaming the same predictions only louder than the first time. For a moment, let's put aside his intentional misrepresentation of data and the predictions of catastrophic doom that have never come to pass. Ignore all of the carbon released into the atmosphere by Al Gore's private jet and the massive number of trees that he had cut down at his home so that the solar panels on his house can receive more direct sunlight. Instead, we should consider the more damaging long-term effects of his climate propaganda instead of his hypocrisy. America is a nation that once exported hope to the rest of the world. We produced generations of young people able to accomplish extraordinary feats at young ages. Remember a few facts that we previously shared on this podcast. Artist John Trumbull and college president John Witherspoon both read the Bible from cover to cover for the first time at the age of four. John Quincy Adams received a congressional appointment at the age of 14 and served as the official secretary in the peace negotiations to end the American Revolution when he was only 15 years old. Those are certainly remarkable achievements, but they were not uncommon in this nation's history. Compare that to the toddlers and teenagers that you know. Is this generation of Americans somehow less capable of such accomplishments? Certainly not. But as a society, we saturate their young minds with predictions of the planet's doom and tell them that unless they can convince the entire population of the world to stop driving gas-powered cars, lawnmowers, and using gas stoves, then the world will cease to exist before they ever grow old enough to care about anything that really matters. By the time of this recording, America has produced two generations of young people who at an alarming rate are considering not starting families because they are convinced that more human beings are bad for the earth. Or they feel it would not be morally right to bring a human into a world that will be destroyed before the child grows into adulthood. Those ideas have been proven wrong again and again. It was British economist Thomas Malthus who was credited, or should I use the word blamed, for theorizing that the earth would never be able to sustain the types of population growth it was experiencing during the 18th century when he lived. He was actually in favor of a catastrophic war or widespread disease to eliminate enough of human life from the planet to make it sustainable. And we now have a population far greater than what he believed the earth would ever be able to support. Yet he is still cited as an expert by some 
and his ideas have been expanded and enlarged by many. People who believe the rhetoric spewed by Al Gore have coalesced into what is called the degrowth movement, a plan to intentionally reduce economic growth on a worldwide scale. And behind the scenes, we are all beginning to see the reality of a group of elites who desire to eliminate a large portion of humanity in order to save the planet. They desire to make it impossible for you to eat beef due to the carbon that is released into the atmosphere by grazing cows. And they believe you should be just fine with getting your protein from crickets instead. The World Economic Forum desires to convince you that a great reset of capitalism is necessary to save the planet. And by the year 2030, they predict that you will own nothing and be happy. A slogan that could have just as easily come from the mind of Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, or Al Gore himself. A full understanding of the Green Movement leads to the conclusion that it really resembles a watermelon. Green on the outside, but filled with the red communistic agenda at its core. The real truth, if you are brave enough to investigate fully, is this. Environmentalism is not about saving the planet. It is about destroying humanity. How can it be that so many in America of all places are willing to buy into these immoral and irrational ideas? One answer is because of the curriculum of the public school system. Animals are presented as having lives that are more important to be preserved than human beings because, after all, a penguin has never committed genocide. Polar bears are considered worthy of the sacrifice of our time, talent, and treasure, but every human being born threatens the life of us all. The National Education Association, the largest teacher union in America, actually promotes what is best described as a curriculum of death. Listen to this quote from an issue of the NEA Journal. Quote, Death by its very nature involves science and medicine, social studies and sociology, psychology, history, art, literature, music, insurance, and law. Subject matter for today's education must have universality, must be intrinsically interesting, must be intellectually challenging, must have personal and social relevance, and must prepare students for life. Teaching about death meets these criteria. End quote. That quote was from 1973. And how much further do you believe this agenda is today? Do you believe this idea has been effectively implemented in the public school curriculum? And do you find it ironic that teaching about death prepares students for life? Consider the testimony of Tara Becker, a student at Columbine High School. She was interviewed by Jane Shadler, who had this to say. Tara explained that the subject of death was integrated into many of the courses at her high school. Death was made to look glamorous, that living was hard, and that reincarnation would solve their problems. 
they would always return to a much better life form. They would return to the oversoul and become like God. Class assignments were for students to write their own obituaries and suicide notes. They were told to trust their own judgment and choosing whether to live or die. Tara's testimony is that she, quote, began to think of suicide as a means of solving some of her problems, liberating her spirit from enslavement to her body, wanted to die to help relieve the planet of overpopulation. Pause for a moment and consider what I just shared. That is in a high school in America, a personal testimony. But it's not just any high school. That is the same high school where on April the 20th, 1999, two students committed one of the worst mass school shootings in America's recent history. When you combine the teaching of evolution with the constant threat of an environmental catastrophe brought about by the existence of too many humans, what do you expect young, impressionable, and idealistic people to do? Not only did an investigation of the writings of the two Columbine killers contain multiple references to the theory of evolution, but they intentionally selected Hitler's birthday for their attack, and one of them was wearing a T-shirt that day that simply had the phrase natural selection across the front. We should never wonder why so many young people are depressed and suicidal. There may be some residual effects from the pandemic, but that pales in comparison to the constant barrage of so-called evidence that they will never grow old enough to fully experience life because people drive cars and use plastic straws. And while Al Gore is certainly not responsible for the atrocities committed in Columbine, it is certainly true that ideas have consequences, especially when those ideas are force-fed into the classrooms of America by so-called professionals who never seem to consider the damage that such ideas are causing in America. Al Gore may have become wealthier than he could have ever imagined by peddling false science and leaving behind an unbroken streak of inaccurate predictions but his rhetoric has damaged countless lives and threatens to undermine America's God-given destiny. It is time that he is exposed for the fraud that he is and properly labeled as the fourth horseman of America's educational apocalypse. We trust that you are enjoying this informative episode of the Classical American Education Podcast. In just a few moments, we will continue the conversation. But first, please allow me a few moments to make you aware of a free resource that is currently available. If you would like a brochure that summarizes the content found in this series, The Four Horsemen of America's Educational Apocalypse, simply send us an email to classicalamericaned at POWG.org and we will send it to you as a PDF. Again, for a free PDF download of the information shared during this series, send us an email to classicalamericaned at POWG.org. Now back to the podcast. 
A few scriptures come to my mind. Let's apply each one to this evil ideology that has infiltrated the American public school classroom. The first one that comes to my mind is Proverbs 15, 28. It says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Proverbs 15, 2 says, The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. And lastly, Romans 1, 25, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I think those three scriptures are an excellent way to combat the fourth horseman of the American educational apocalypse and the theory of evolution that is so often directly tied in with environmentalism. There are some that might shy away from quoting passages of the Bible that refer to foolishness and evil, but we believe in speaking the truth in love, not shying away from truth in order to keep the peace. The Bible declares that it is the fool who says in his heart there is no God. And the same can be said for those who give lip service to the existence of God, but then act like they are God by claiming they can save the planet from destruction. They have elevated what they often refer to as Mother Earth to a godlike status, just as the book of Romans declares. They are worshiping the created world more than the creator who spoke it into existence. If you actually study out the issues without falling for the propaganda, you will see that there is no global climate crisis that requires a world government to solve it. I suggest that our audience invest the time to read all of the first chapter of Romans and think about how this description of a society that falls apart due to its refusal to acknowledge God unfortunately matches the current trajectory of America. Thankfully, we know from the Word of God that this trend will one day be reversed when we as a nation fulfill our God-given destiny. One more scripture comes to mind. Genesis 9:11 And I will establish my covenant with you neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth I find it interesting that this verse is Genesis 9:11 or 911 the number that we all know to call in case of an emergency the next time someone tries to convince you that there is a climate emergency, that you need to stop driving a car, stop drinking from a straw, stop eating meat, maybe you should share the Bible's 911 call about the planet. God will never destroy the earth again by a flood. That is a promise from him. Those who built the Tower of Babel seemingly did so because they were worried about a repeat occurrence of a flood and wanted to be high enough to reach heaven as a way of escaping that possibility. If you are familiar with your Bible, then you know that God was not pleased with their lack of faith and disobedience, so he confused their languages to force them to spread out and populate the entire earth according to his instructions. Those who believe that humanity is capable of causing a flood that will destroy the planet by our own actions that raise the temperature of the earth are equally guilty of disbelief. 
and God continues to show the foolishness of their actions, like protest about the harmful effects of global warming being met with snowstorms. And here we have a couple of article references to prove that. Here's an article written on March the 2nd, 2009, by a Fox News reporter, Joseph Abrams. And the title of this article was, Out with a Shiver, Global Warming Protest Frozen Out by Massive Snowfall. Stephanie Ebbs of ABC News wrote an article titled, Historic Winter Storm Raises Questions About Climate Change and Cold. This was on February 19th, 2021. And I'll read just a brief excerpt from that article to show you exactly how ridiculous their back and forth talking out of both sides of their mouth is. So here's the article, quote, At the same time, record lows from Nebraska to New Orleans and the most snow in at least three decades for much of the Southern Plains has climate change skeptics asking, where's the global warming now? The answer is, while the connection between climate change and cold weather patterns isn't as clearly established as its relationship to warming, experts say it does affect how severe winter storms are and how long they last. And cold weather, even when extreme, does not negate the earth is warming. Oh, what about the 1960s, Jonathan, when they were talking about global cooling or the 1970s? When they were talking about the new ice age. I think this is an excellent example of exactly what you mentioned. Climate experts talking out of both sides of their mouth. We understand from recent history in America that just because someone has given themselves the label of an expert or just because the media calls someone an expert, that does not necessarily mean that you should listen to them especially when what they're saying is in complete violation of what we used to call common sense. Exactly. So in the 70s, they seemed to have the global cooling thing down pat by their experts. But now they're saying cold weather patterns, they're not clearly established as its relationship to warming. But now they're saying that it doesn't matter how cold it gets, the earth is still warming when back in the day they were telling us it was cooling. I guess they would have said no matter how warm the earth gets, it's still cooling. Right. Talking out of both sides of their mouth, just switching what they say for the time to fit their agenda. You also have the controversy of the leaked emails in which discussion was had about hiding the decline, where they were attempting to figure out a way to not allow the public to know that the temperatures were starting to go down. It is impossible to follow everything that is said by the climate alarmist and try to find any thread of logic because it's all a hoax. Foolishness, as the Bible would say. Jonathan, we've encouraged parents to immediately remove their children from public school because of the worldly wisdom, philosophy, and vain deceit that we have begun to expose here at the Classical American Education Podcast. Some have, some are planning to, but some are still skeptical using the argument, you can't shelter your children forever. So as an educator, but more importantly, a pastor, what would you say to that argument, if you will? There is a significant difference between sheltering children and protecting children. No sane person would encourage a parent to allow a child to spend the night at a convicted predator's home. And likewise, 
We should not willingly send our children to places where we know that so much false doctrine is being pushed. False history about America that breeds contempt for our nation and a complete lack of appreciation. Racist ideologies like critical race theory that are designed to instigate bitterness. The intentional plan to rob children of innocence by exposing them to sexual topics that are unfit for even adults, much less children, at the earliest stages of their education. And the death culture, fueled by the frenzy over a climate hoax designed to promote world government and communism. Again, I say without hesitation that preventing your children from being exposed to that type of material in the public school is not sheltering them. That is protecting them. Amen. Public school is nothing like it was when most of our audience went through the system, if you did like both of us. Only the naive would call the decision to remove a child from public school sheltering them. I understand there are many well-meaning parents who think that way, and you should share this podcast with them as an attempt to get their attention. This is the last episode in our series of the Four Horsemen of America's Educational Apocalypse. If you would like a PDF version of this series, email us at classicalamericaned at pow.org. If you missed any episodes in this series, we encourage you to go back and listen. Also, rate, share, and leave us a positive review. Until next time, may God bless you as you serve him in Jesus' name.